Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better and following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete that you want to row with. I'm Rebecca Caro, and I'm joined as ever by Marlene Royal. Hey, Marlene. Hi, Rebecca, and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing audience. So news to everybody in New Zealand, we are in lockdown again. So I've been on the rowing machine this week. <sighs> it's frustrating. Yes, but isn't it good that you have a rowing machine? It is good that I have a rowing machine. And a lot of my the ladies in my crew don't. So, you know, they're all, you're allowed out for exercise, but, you know, they're doing we're running up staircases and hills and things. I like know, that. I know. That's when you're glad if you live in a two or three story house. You know, you can go from the basement oh, or to right. the attic and go back down again. <laughs> I always slip on the coming down. I'm fine on going upstairs. You have to go down slowly. You do. You do. Yeah. Now, um, we'd like to say a big thank you to everybody who supports our podcast. We have a little surprise, which we hope to have out mid-month, and we have gotten delayed somewhat, so I apologize, but it is coming to you. And if you're listening to this and you know that you enjoy what we do, we encourage you to support us. It does cost a lot of money each year to run the podcast. Um, it, monthly donations start from a dollar, and you can go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast. Now, I have just going to show you the most beautiful picture that I have behind me, which is the Capital Rowing Club roof. And I was sent this picture by Jessica Price Cooper. And she said the roof blew off, but it allowed her to take this gorgeous picture through the structure of the sunrise. And it really is very, very lovely. So thank mm. you, Jessica. That was just gorgeous. And if you're watching live, remember you can add questions or remarks by typing into the comments below the feed where you're watching. If you're on Facebook, you have to allow StreamYard access to your profile. Otherwise, you come up as the um, Facebook user uh, we know who this is from Casper, Wyoming. <laughs> um, and hello from the Hudson Valley. And hello, a traveler back after Masters Nationals. So we were talking before we kicked off about what it's like traveling back after a regatta. And we're going to have our big topic today is all about doing your season debrief and planning for the next season based on what you observe from this season. So we will cover that when we get on to our big topic. But this past week, I want to draw your attention to a couple of really important articles. So I was reading in um, the local New Zealand news about a, um, a bunch of very successful Olympians. And here you can see the article and it is headed off with the title, How Our Female Rowers Ate More and Triumphed. And a lovely picture of Brooke Donahue and Hannah Osborne. And the backstory, and I will put the link to this in the show notes so that you'll get it. But the backstory was that a lot of 
the female athletes were found to be amenorrheic or not having their periods. And the nutritionist working with the team started to do, um, they found this in 2016 after as, as a health survey. And their nutritionist couldn't said, we need to find out why this isn't happening. And she thought that one possible solution was REDS, which is a really important assessment of how much calories you're getting in compared with the energy that you're expending. And they found that most of their athletes were in the orange or red zone rather than the green zone. And they said that they changed the mentality that if you don't fuel enough, you won't get the results you want. And so instead of the athletes having this mindset of ideal race weights or, you know, being lean, that they had to change the mindsets so that you fuel enough so that you get enough energy. And I just thought this was just incredibly powerful as a good way that sport is moving on, particularly with regard to female health. Um, and so I'll share that article with, with you. Um, uh, I'll put the URL on the screen there. And Marlene, you picked up another health article about diet Yes. Week. Also in on, on the Rowing News website, um, Nancy Clark has an article um, that was posted. Uh, it was posted today, actually, um, that says exercising to attain a perfect body, a futile quest. And um, what she looked at was um, basically, you know, what would you do if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to attain your like performance versus your image, what, what would you do? And, and she starts out by saying, you know, the, the standard solution of course is train harder to shed pounds and attain the perfect body. Um, but in the article, she, she definitely, she makes the point that, you know, what she, she writes here, I'm quoting, um, the problem is exercise is better known for helping to maintain fat loss than for contributing to fat loss. Reducing body fatness depends more on reducing food intake than on increasing exercise. Um, as you know, the more you row or erg, the likely the hungrier you're going to get and the more you're going to eat. So I, so I think I thought, first of all, that was, a, that was an important message because if you think, oh, I'm just going to train more and I'm going to lose fat, that way because we don't necessarily want to lose muscle and um, active tissue that's going to help move the boat better right um, that that you know you have to balance your caloric needs with your exercise needs and if you if you increase the amount that you exercise you have to increase the amount that you eat um, and and here she has a the um, performance versus versus image and um, she posed this, this was her question. What would you, um, if you, if exercise had no impact on your body weight or appearance, would you change how much you train? And I thought this was really interesting. Um, oh, and she's, yes. Yeah. So she said, um, dedicated rowers will, will likely answer no change. Um, they follow a training program geared towards achieving a specific performance goal. 
college rowers at the D1 level have little choice in how much they row. They have to do what the coach demands. Rowers who want to be lighter would likely cut out cardio done specifically to burn off calories and instead eat a little less. Like, of course, if you can trim the amount that you exercise, you can probably reduce a little bit um, the amount that you eat. She said, Fit, fitness rowers might only then do the workouts they enjoy. <laughs> Gee, yeah. what, a no, what a novel idea, right? Um, <laughs> compulsive exercise with a high drive for thinness, which can include any of the categories above, may want to take more rest days, stop getting up at four o'clock every morning to do a longer workout or double workouts. But, you know, they those are the rowers who have the anxiety about, oh my gosh, I don't want to get fat, you know? So they, they, they constantly train hard and they don't ever let up. And um, the, the amount that you, you know, if you start getting injuries, for example, like in the, the Redis um, syndrome, when they scan that, you know, they're also, they're looking at cal caloric intake, but they're also looking at bone density. They're looking at, you know, things like when you start getting a, a high preval prevalence of stress fractures, that can be a red flag that the caloric intake is not is not adequate for the amount of of training that you're doing. And um, you know that's that I'd say that was one thing if 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 our masters athletes, if you're kind of experience you're starting to get these like little nagging pains in your wrist or tendon, you know tendonitis or, maybe your ribs are bothering you, you're starting to get little, little injuries that are bothering you. I think the first, first thing I would look at is, are you eating enough to get enough nutrients to keep your immune system strong? As we know, fiber feeds your immune system, fiber feeds the good bacteria, which is what keeps your immune system healthy. Um, and we actually in our, our, um, program in the faster masters program we did talk about nutrition and injuries this month so that is one of our mm -hmm. current articles in the august program but um but you know if you start getting little irritations little injuries coming and going take a look at your nutrition and see you know maybe you're really not taking in enough nutrients maybe you're not taking in enough calcium um enough protein and and masters athletes older athletes need a you know you need 30 to 40 grams of protein after a workout to to you know keep those muscles strong and uh, and sometimes people don't you know a cup of yogurt maybe has what 18 18 grams of protein like in a cup of good like greek yogurt but you need like two cups right so yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so good good points there thank you molly so we're going to move on to a little look at your race performance. So the big topic for today. Many of us have raced. Some of us are still waiting to race. But whatever happens, it's really beneficial for you when it comes to customizing what you're going to do in your training for the next calendar year even, particularly if, if this has been the peak at the end of your year. We, we know that Masters Nationals finished this last weekend. Um, it's really important to have a look at how do you think you did and to be objective about it. And one of the reasons I mentioned earlier people driving home is that actually a long drive home after a regatta 
couple of nights decent sleep and a day or perhaps more of sitting and not training allows you time to think, to cogitate, to digest what actually happened, to recall it in your mind. And you will all remember that the Faster Five is the core principles around which the Faster Masters program is built. And one of the Faster Five is racing. If you're a paying member of any of our monthly programs, you get these for free. They're in your joining bonus. Go and have a look and find them. If you're not, you can buy the Faster Five. Just go look for it on our website. You'll find it linked uh, in the footer or just do a search. Now, there's a lot to racing that is very focused on delivering the race. And I think a lot of times people forget the post-race analysis. Mm -hmm. So, Monique, give us your tips. What should people be looking for in their post-race analysis? I think you want to look at, I mean, if, if you're coming off of a big regatta, say something like the U.S. Masters Nationals, which, which just wrapped up, you know, you may have rode several races. Some may have been qualification races. Some may have been finals. So in, in general, as a good practice, make some, during the regatta, I would say, first of all, make some notes about each race during the regatta. Because if you row five or six races over the course of the regatta or eight races, by the time the regatta is over, you may not clearly remember race number one. Um, you may remember generally, but you know, if there were some specific specific things, it's always good to just jot down a few notes so that you, you can recall the race. But I think you want to look at first the whole picture. You know, how would you rate how you felt your performances? Just subjectively, did you um, perform, you know, what were your expectations? You know, did did you perform where you thought you would? Did you think you would do better? Maybe you did better than you expected. So first, I think, you know, you just have to see how you generally, how you generally felt about it. Um, and then I would look, look closer and specifically um, write down what, what you felt that you did very well, especially if this is a, like, if this is, you, you could do it on the level of the whole regatta, which was over four days, or you might zero in on the event that was your most important event and really dissect that event if that was the event you were really focusing on. But I think, first of all, look at what you feel you did well, um, apart from whether or not the result was what you wanted or hoped for. Let's sort of put the results aside and say, well, you know, look at the things you did well. Did you get to the start on time? Did you, did you do a really good job getting out of the starting blocks or your boat? Did you steer well? Um, did you follow your race plan? You know, look at the, look at the process oriented things. Were you, um, you know, how were you thinking during, during the race or how did you do technically? And, you know, kind of look at the race itself in terms of um, the package of, of the race, but also look at what went well leading, like, like, I like to look at the whole day before the race, you know, how did you do with your pre-race routine? How did you do with your nutrition, your hydration? Um, if it was hot, were you able to stay cool? Were you able to manage that? Was, were, are there things that you could have done better? But, um, but, but I always like to look at 
the things that went well and and give yourself credit for everything, right? I wore the right clothes. That's a positive because if you wear the <laughs> wrong type of, well, if you wore the wrong, if say you came there in really warm clothes and you didn't have anything else, that would not be a good choice, right? Or you had didn't have enough clothes and it was a cold situation and you know, being cold can certainly affect your, your race results for your muscles. But um, even, you know, every single thing, just, just kind of walk, walk through that whole day and look at what went, what went well on the level of your peak race, what went well on the level of your regatta. And, um, and then look at what could you have done better? Um, rather than saying what didn't go well, I would just say, what do you need to improve on and that, that's where you start to develop your, your task list for what are you going to start building into your practices to improve or to create it. it you know, maybe you're creating a, a, a plan for next season. Maybe you're just looking at um, transitioning into head race and there's some things that you can still work on for your head racing season into November. But look at what you need to improve on. And um, again, you have to divide it into short-term goals, like what could you improve on this season and a longer-term goal, what, what can you aim to be better at next, next season? And, you know, you might look at, I didn't manage my race nutrition very well. I need to do better at that. Or I didn't, I didn't um, steer very well. Or I, you know, I'm really not, not clean at the releases and that's costing me time and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, you can look at your, I abandoned my race plan. That's a really common one. Like you have this great race plan that you practiced all season and then you get into the race and you throw it to the wind. Um, so diff different things like that. And it could be emotional. It could be how you feel. It could be technical. It could be physically. I think I rode a really good race for where I'm at in my fitness right now, but I need to get stronger. Um, or I need to get a better aerobic base. So you you can look at it on a lot of levels, but like just brainstorm it. You know, that's what I tell people to do. Just sit down and just just brain, yeah. brainstorm it on a piece of paper and then let it percolate a little bit and go back to it. Um, yeah. And, and when, you come, okay. when you come yeah. back to it, I, I'd like you to uh, analyze and one of the things that adults find really hard to do is to analyze without judgment. So you're a scientist, you're looking at, you know, it's like, it's like being in, in, in the, uh, you know, on the, on the bench in the uh, laboratory and your analysis needs to be on a basis of fact and not emotion. Yeah. So, it's really, really important. So the, the sun just came out behind me. <laughs> came, it's coming. coming. It's, it's coming um, through the roof. <laughs> coming through the roof. There we go. That's a bit better. Um, when you look at the things that you've listed down on your sheet of paper, I'd like you to make a mark against each one to say, is this something which is controllable? Or is this something that I cannot control? So, for example, nutrition. Yes, I can control what I put in my mouth on race day and the day before. During the race, you know, there was a strong side wind. No, I can't control that. So you begin to have a sense of what are the things that 
you need to have the skill to respond to like a sidewind, but you can't really, you can practice for it, but you can't plan for it. You can't organize around that principle. And then that will give you a much shorter list of things that are controllable that you can actually then go and decide what you want to do in order to move forward. Now, if this is not your first year of rowing, you should have a comparison from a previous year. So you should be able to look up your test scores. You should be able to look at your results from previous years, even if you didn't write down how you did and your race performance after that particular regatta. And that will then give you a clue as to whether or not you've progressed. So as a general rule of thumb, most athletes start rowing in big boats and as they get more skillful and fitter, they move into smaller boats. So you may be starting in an eight in a quad and then you get down into the fours, cocks, then maybe coxless or a pair or a double or a single. And so one of the things in assessing your race performance is what boat class was I in and how did that go and who else was in the boat with you? Of course, you know, unless you're a single, it's a team effort. And then for your next season, you've got two basic choices. One is, do I want to consolidate around what I've already done? Say you're in a good coxed four and you're really enjoying it. Do you want to try and keep that crew going for another year and see if you can improve on your race performance? Or do you feel you need a new challenge? And don't be disappointed if different people in your crew make different decisions. You have to allow them to take the pathway that they feel most comfortable with through the sport. And so we have had many situations where someone just goes, look, I really want to focus on the pair this year. And so we say, for example, would you be interested in doing the quad if it can fit in around your race schedule? What if we bring someone else into the quad and we have a bigger group and we race in two age brackets? And, you know, you come to a consensus agreement around what may or may not be possible. Personally, I often regret it when someone decides to leave a crew that I perceive as being successful. But right now, this season, I am leaving a crew that has been successful because they are younger than me and they don't need my age and lack of strength in the event that they're racing. And so I am quietly migrating away from that group of women and into a slightly different one, which, you know, this is what happens when you go up through the age bands. That's one of our adaptations. <laughs> it is, exactly. And, and a new challenge is nice. You know, your new challenge doesn't necessarily have to be that you have to work with a novice or someone who's really new to the sport. It might be just you go to a different regatta, you know, try a different head race, um, you know, try a different crew lineup, try yourself steering, try yourself in stroke. Um, you know, there are lots and lots of small challenges that we can set ourselves that can um, flesh out the skill set that we bring to the sport overall. And and I, I think that's a very good point. And also, like, when you're assessing things to improve, as you said, not not being overly self-critical because it's very easy to say, oh, my, my, my blade depth is just awful. Well, it's not your blade depth is awful. It's the blade tends to go deep. It, it does, it's, there's not a personal reflection on it. And this is one thing that I found very interesting listening to um, 
athletes who were getting ready to go to Tokyo, listening to their interviews and podcasts, that they were all very much about what we're helping. I'm not helping the boat do this. I'm not helping the boat breathe. I'm not that that was one thing the Canadian Women's Eight said in their interview that we need to let the boat breathe and we need to let the boat move. And I'm doing something right now that's not allowing the boat to move as well as it could. And I and I just and a number of different interviews I listened to talked about it that way, especially, for example, like a double, right, where it's just the two of you. And if you row in a double or a small boat mixed double or something with somebody, it's very easy to take things very personally when someone says, well, you know, the your your releases aren't very good or your blades are hitting the water or something like that. It You know, when you're in a small boat relationship, it can be very easy to take it personally and I think you have to remove that and both take responsibility for helping the boat move as well as it can without it be becoming, it's your fault that the boat didn't do this or it's my fault that the boat didn't do that. You know, it's, it's, it's a collective effort to help the boat maximize. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's taking some of the self-criticism out of it. It's still focusing on how do we get the boat moving better, but it, it's less, less uh, personal. Yeah, I think the self-criticism is an interesting concept. It's something that uh, some people are more inclined to than others. You know, some people, you know, it's never my fault. But actually turning an observation around to from a negative to a positive can make it much more easy to action going forward. So instead of a coach saying, don't square late, you're squaring late, start to say do square early. Now, it sounds trivial, but trust me, people are much more likely to respond with positive effort and energy if you give them a positive to do rather than trying to highlight a negative. Absolutely. And, and actually, strangely enough, if you give someone a don't do this, um, that's often exactly what they do. I don't know. I don't know why why it happens that way, but it but it does. And and wording is important as well as you know wording from the coaching point of view, but also wording what you tell yourself because you do exactly people do what they're what you ask them to do, right? So if you use language when you're coaching that is not really what you want somebody to do, somebody's going to do that. And I think it's the same thing when you're doing your, your race assessment of um, when you're evaluating how you talk to yourself is, is very, is very important. And that's why I think it's so important to, to focus it on what, what you can improve on next time instead of what you felt you did poorly. Um, I, you yeah. know, and that, that's exactly like the, uh, the, the same thing, the same side of the coin is, you know, what can I improve, not what didn't go well, because um, we have the controllable factors and some things you just have to deal with. And like, if it's a crosswind, everybody has to deal with that. Or if it's hot, everybody has to deal with that. So um, having your, you know, having some backup plans for different race scenarios might be one of those things you can improve on like oh i didn't expect this to happen and i need to know how to handle handle um, a, a delay in the start 
And what if you're out there for 20 minutes and, oh my gosh, I don't have enough water or it's, or it's a cool situation like um, a fall race in New England sometimes can be quite cool in the morning and perhaps you don't have enough warm clothes with you and the start gets delayed and you have to wait and you get cold. So, um, you know, just trying to anticipate scenarios um, is also another way that you can be prepared for what might come at you, you know, on race day. Yeah, that's a really, really good thing to do. And it's also the sort of thing that's worth having a land-based discussion with some of the more experienced athletes in your group. So the minute you said, what about a delay in the start and it's hot? And it brought to mind for me instantly racing in the pair in Seville in Spain. And the heat before us had an equipment failure. And rather than pull them to the side and get on with the regatta, the umpires and their wisdom decided to leave them waiting while somebody took a speedboat and drove to get whatever the replacement was. And there was no shade on a regatta course, as everybody yeah. knows. And I vividly remember taking off my cap and scooping water and just like slushing it over, over us because it was the only way we could think of of staying cool. Right. And, the, and those things can, ha or, or rain or some strain, you know, I mean, lots of crazy things can happen, but you say, you know, something might happen to the race before you, but anticipating those things. But I do think it's really important, regardless of what, what your outcome is. I think it's really important to look at the process of this. And first of all, remember you were out there, like you had your butt on the line, you were in the boat, you rode the race. Um, you know, there there are a lot of people who wouldn't wouldn't even dream perhaps of doing that, you know. So it's really already a pretty big adventurous thing that you're training and like you're putting yourself out there. Um, so so I do think oftentimes people really deserve credit for just being in the race. I mean, it, it's a big thing to get ready for something like that. And, and sometimes, you know, People are afraid to do it. They're like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to put my stack myself up against other people. So, you know, you have to, I think you have to give yourself credit for, for being there. Like you can't win the race if you're not in the race, right? So, so. And, you know, did you enjoy the overall regatta? Was the social scene fun? Did you have a nice meal with your colleagues? You know, if you were thinking about a holiday or a vac vacation that you'd taken, you would be assessing it against those sorts of criteria. You know, was the landscape nice? You know, was I with convivial people? So I think there are elements of that that it's worth bringing into your rowing because, you know, we can't all win the race. So how can we take pleasure and enjoyment out of the border picture? Right. And that might include, for example, if a lot of times if you go to a big event, you're, you're meeting up with people who maybe you haven't seen for a long time. And you want to go have dinner, you want to go have lunch, you want to visit with them. I think that's something that you have to to plan. If if you're if you have a really serious peak event, I think your socializing is something that you should plan around that peak event because you may need to to decide. You know what? The night before, I'm I'm just going to like lay low and be quiet and kind of save energy for your peak event. But perhaps you know maybe your peak event could be early in the regatta and then the rest of the regatta, you can, you can go out to dinner and have more fun, but yeah. you know, you might want to think about even balancing, like, 
who do I go out to dinner with? And how late, if I go out to dinner, how late do I go out to dinner? Because, you know, those types of things can affect your performance. And, um, you know, sometimes if you have a choice of picking one race at a certain time of the day or regatta versus another race, that can influence that, you know what, I would rather do this race because it's earlier in the day and then I'm going to go have dinner with my friends. And I think that that's also, you know, perfectly acceptable to do. And, um, but that's part of your planning. You might say, oh gosh, I went out to dinner and I saw too many people and we were talking, we had a great time, but I, I didn't get enough rest the night before. So, you know, I think those are just, just things in the big picture to consider. Good stuff. Well, I hope that everybody now has more than enough ammunition to mm -hmm. assess their race performance. Um, this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio for Thursday, the 19th of August. It's been lovely having you guys along for the ride. And please remember that if you'd like to receive a weekly summary of the uh, podcast that we have, we have a newsletter. It's fastermastersrowing.com forward slash newsletter. You can sign up there. And you'll get links to everything that we've done in that past week, plus a few other extra bonuses that aren't actually in the newsletter. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing program subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash join. Till next time. Bye-bye.